On behalf of the school, I want to thank personally the elders of the congregation here and also our preacher, Cody Westbrook, for uh, allowing us the opportunity to call someone in to uh, celebrate with us the graduation of uh, several of our students tonight. And uh, we selected uh, Brother Cody, uh, Cody, uh, Brother Joey Davis, who works with the congregation in Roanoke, or the Roanoke congregation. Want to thank his elders also for allowing him the time to be with us uh, today. I've, I've known Joey uh, only in passing, but I guess a full week together uh, in Denver for the master's program several years ago and uh, developed nothing but the utmost respect for him there. Got to know him a little more on a personal basis. And, and since then, I've heard him speak on a number of lectureships and was never disappointed, but always walked away having taken notes, which is a good thing. And so without taking any, any more of his time, I want to introduce you uh, to Brother Joy Davis. Well, I do want to express my gratitude and appreciation for the invitation to be a part of this uh, special day. Of course, it's special because it's the Lord's day, but also the occasion on which uh, you send out uh, graduates from your uh, Bible training program here. And uh, that is a great day to know that uh, you have had the opportunity in the lives of individuals to teach them for two years, and then to know that uh, your influence as a congregation will reach out from this place and uh, influence the lives of other people in other places in the world. Uh, this is a great congregation from what I know about it, and the preaching, preacher training program here is, is excellent. Uh, I followed several of your graduates when I came to Roanoke and uh, found a congregation sound in the faith. And that's a testament not only to the leadership, but a testament to the men who have been preaching there. And by extension, the work that you did to prepare them for that work. So I appreciate the work that is done at, at Southwest. Uh, I, of course, went to school in uh, Memphis uh, which may seem a little odd for someone who grew up in Texas, but uh, one of my favorite uh, instructors, Brother Curtis Cates, always said there is no competition between lighthouses. And so I am glad that there is a great respect between uh, these two schools and uh, these congregations and that the school at Memphis and the school here is working together to train uh, men and women to be sound in the faith and to exert their influence through God's word throughout the world. I'm grateful to be here with you this morning. I said at the Bible class hour and as our scripture reading uh, would indicate uh, that I'm using Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10 as a template for the lessons that I'm presenting today. Uh, that uh, verse has three principles, really, uh, in it when it describes the work that Ezra was doing and the preparation 
that he had done to get to that point. Uh, Those three components are Ezra had prepared his heart. That's the first one, and we looked at that in Bible class. To seek the law of the Lord and to do it. That's what we will consider in this hour. And then tonight, Lord willing, uh, to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And of course, I'm going to different places in God's word to develop these principles. But the point I guess I'm trying to make by bringing that passage to the forefront is that this is the general tenor of Bible teaching. As it relates to the individual and our preparation to serve our God, there is a process. We, we prepare our heart. Then we seek the law of the Lord with the intention of doing it. And then we teach others the very things that we have come to know and love and practice in our own lives. That concept, that idea permeates Bible teaching. You'll remember Jesus' instruction was for one to remove the obscuring or obstacle or the thing that would obscure vision from one's own eye. And then you or I are in a position where we are able to help someone else. Prepare our hearts to seek the law of the Lord and do it ourselves and then teach others. The thing that God wants them to know. This is the seeker-doer lesson in this series. And this is the lesson where I want to talk about the idea of life. Why we are here. In a book that I read recently, in the back of the book, was a list of 15 questions that the author proposed were questions that every young person in this book had a spiritual tenor to it. These were questions that every young person needed to be able to answer. One of those questions was, why am I here? The idea of life. There are a number of passages in God's word that speak to that important thought or principle. Ezra 7.10 is one of those. But I think also of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for, as one translation says, this is man's all. The sum total of our being and the meaning for our life is to fear God and keep his commandments. To bring glory and honor to him. Now that's easier said than done quite often. I don't mean this in a funny way or in a ridiculing or criticizing or demeaning way. But think about this. Christians of all people can be some of the most messed up people as far as direction and understanding of purpose in life goes. We can really have things out of kilter in our own lives. The people that you would think would have it all together, often it's the case that we don't. 
We, we're th- we think we're supposed to have it all together. And quite frankly, we're scared to death when we don't. When things in life seem out of our control or, or beyond our ability to affect or change, that's scary. Sometimes that happens with us psychologically. Sometimes emotionally, we feel as though we are without direction. And definitely in the realm of spiritual things, we can get out of kilter in our lives. These difficulties and challenges, I believe, are tied to the why we are here. What is our purpose for being here? What are we supposed to be doing while we are here? That, that is our spiritual center. That, that, that is our anchor, really, to survive and to navigate the difficulties and challenges in our lives. Life without clear purpose, even for Christians, can be a dungeon of despair. And that in a way that affects every aspect of our being. What I want us to understand and appreciate this morning is it doesn't have to be that way. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4 speaks of a stability of life that can be ours for the taking. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 we read these words that speak to this principle or idea that, that we are considering. What is the meaning of life or the idea of life? Here Paul says, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The point of this passage this morning is we are working as Christians toward a point in time where when Christ appears, we will be with him in glory. If you think about the overall theme of the book of Colossians, it speaks to the the supremacy, the divinity of, of Jesus Christ. But in a very practical way, it speaks to you and me about how we live our lives in order to demonstrate his supremacy. This passage in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4 is supported by the three verses that precede it. That speak volumes, in my estimation, to the reason that we are here. The reason that we live. Solomon said to fear God and to keep his commandments. Ezra's mindset was to seek the law of the Lord and do it. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. There is a purpose and meaning to life that drives out all of the difficulty, all of the uncertainty, all of the despair. What is the idea, the meaning 
of life. Let's study these four verses together and notice four components of the idea of life from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Follow along with me as I read the verses. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The first principle or the first component of the the idea of life centers around this statement that Paul makes, if then you were raised with Christ. One of my elders is uh, filling in for me this morning uh, back home in Roanoke. And uh, the title of his sermon is If. And the significance of the word if in many places in the Bible. Notice the significance of it here. If then you were raised with Christ, that in essence is saying, if then you were saved. If you were buried with Christ and raised with him through baptism, the process through which God redeems us from our sins and saves us from sin. And so the first concept or the first principle here is the one that speaks to our being saved. There is a point where healing begins in our lives. That point is when we are saved from our sins. That's really the point at which we get meaning for life. Look look at the world that you interact with on a daily basis. And look at the confusion in the minds and hearts of all the people. And how little they know about why they are here. Think about your own life. Not all of us were reared by Christian families. Many of us likely came to the truth much later in our lives. And we recognize that point in life where we obtained purpose, healing, because we were saved. That's the beginning of this idea of life. It is the transition point where we get purpose and meaning. We've all landed at that aha moment in our life in some way at some time or another. I was reared by a godly mother in a home that was divided religiously. And so my mother did her best to teach me what I needed to know, but it was very difficult without the help of a mate. And when I left home, I went my own way and lived a very difficult first portion of my life. Very confused. But when I was taught the gospel 
and I obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that was a healing moment for me. It was the moment in time when I gained purpose for living. I understood it. And likely many of you, hopefully all of us, can relate to that in some form or fashion. Our, our, very, our experiences are varying. But we've all had that moment in time. Paul writes to these Christians, not to people in the world who are walking around aimlessly with no sense of direction, but to Christians. You see, sometimes Christians can get it messed up and out of whack. And he says, and he reminds them, in effect, if then, if then you were raised with Christ, if, if you were saved, if you came to that point of transition in your life where you were given purpose, apparently they had relapsed to some degree from that healing moment in their lives. Maybe you have. Graduates from this Bible program will go out into the world. Maybe with some unrealistic expectations about how things are going to go. Problem free. Everything works just the way it's supposed to. It's not always that way. And sometimes, often there are challenges and difficulties that might make us question ourselves. Wonder if we really understand our purpose in life. Maybe something similar to what these Christians were experiencing. But Paul reminds them of that healing moment, that moment of purpose. If then you were raised with Christ. And sometimes that's what we need to do. As Christians, we need to return back in our minds and our hearts to that healing point. That healing point. And that point in our lives where we were given purpose to refocus and to get our sense of direction. Sometimes life deals us a bad hand. Sometimes our relationships become very difficult. Sometimes our motivation is broken. What do you do? If then you were raised with Christ. I'm a Christian. I've been saved from a life that had no meaning. I've been given purpose in my life. I understand the idea of life. Sometimes I just need to remind myself of that. And I have to go back to that healing point where it began. If I, as a Christian, maybe I should even say when I, as a Christian, find myself in the pits, in the dungeon, 
in despair, in hopelessness, not sure about the meaning of my life. The first step in correcting that is the same one that Paul employed here. If, if you really were raised with Christ, reflect on the fact that you were saved and that God has lifted you out of the uncertainty and meaninglessness and has given you purpose. There is a point where healing begins and and that's the beginning of the idea or the meaning of life. Now notice in verse one again, there's a second component to this idea and meaning of life. It is the word seek. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Seek. This speaks to the arena of our thinking. And what I mean by arena is that sphere of ideas that give you your sense of life. And maybe before becoming a Christian, maybe it's an individual who is very good in a specific athletic field. And so the meaning of life is gained from that sphere of experience. My purpose and meaning of life revolves around these ideas. Maybe it's a job, a work work or career. That arena of thinking will influence and drive every decision I make in life. But if you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above. You see, the arena of our thinking has to change as Christians. The the sphere of ideas that influences our decisions and our outlook on life must change. And Paul reminds them of this. You're Christians. Seek those things that originate from above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. You know, the the source of your ideas about life is critical. Think about Eve in the Garden of Eden. God had given her the arena of thinking for humanity to, to she and Adam. You can eat of all the trees of this garden. Except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There's a clearly defined arena of thought. Every decision, every choice I make as Eve revolves around that instruction that God has given me. And that's fine. Until Satan comes along. And he says, in essence, you're thinking in the wrong arena. The sphere of your ideas is restricted. God has given you this instruction because really he's holding back on you. He knows that the day that you eat of that tree, you'll be like him, knowing good 
and evil. And Eve was led to believe that there is another arena of thought in which she is to operate and think and get her meaning and idea about life. Her source of authority. I think of 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, where John admonished, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Here's another arena or idea of life. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away. And the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Satan is trying to put before us another arena of thought to get us to develop our idea of life from it. but it's one that takes us away from the kind of thinking that comes from above. And it will prevent us from seeking the law of the Lord and doing it. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 59, I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. You see, that that idea is all throughout Scripture. Seek the law of the Lord and do it. Make my ideas and my thoughts about life His ideas and thoughts about life. One of my favorite passages, as I mentioned in Bible class, there there are some. I, I love all of the Bible, but there are some passages that just function as a framework of sorts that are very helpful in maintaining perspective. Ezra 17 is one. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 is another. If I have lost my center of spiritual gravity, if I am questioning whether or not I understand my idea of why I am here, here's a good passage to meditate upon. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It's a good place to go when my thinking is out of alignment with what God wants me to know as my purpose for life. You see, our happiness, our contentment, our worth, our sense of worth, not our worth. Our worth is set by God. But our feeling of worth, our sense of worth and value and our peace is tied to our thinking and our thinking is drawn from the arena of thought that tells us about life and its meaning and purpose and it's not here Paul says seek those things which are above where Christ is you mark it down 
And you think about this. When you experience problems and troubles in life, whether it's relationships, whatever it is, just lack of clarity in my own mind, whatever it is, it is always connected with the way that I'm thinking about life. I look at the world around, and we'll talk more about this tonight, just how messed up things seem to be. I think, why in the world is the world so messed up? Well, it's the world. Most people don't operate in the arena of thinking that God has prescribed. But God forbid it be that way with us as his children. If we have been saved, if we have risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above. Mental, much mental. Emotional, spiritual sickness typically stems from the fact that we are not thinking the way that we ought to be thinking about life. If you look at Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 through 9, In the first part of the passage, Paul looks backwards. Here he does too, but he he reminds them of where they came from to get to where they are now. He says, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness. Why, Why would people be engaged in the things that he outlines in this list? Why? Because they're not thinking right about life. They have the wrong perspective about life, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of obedience. Now look, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. See, that's where they were. And those things fit perfectly in the arena of thought from which they operated. But their life had been changed when they were introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that changed their arena of thought. The, the ideas and the things that influence the way they think and the decisions that they make. Now, evidently, they had lost some sense of that. And so Paul is working to recalibrate their thinking. And that is necessary for us from time to time as well. How do you do that? Well, saved. You remember the point where it began. You seek Things that originate from above. And then in verse 2, look at the word set. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. What I mean by set in verse 2 is it has to do with meaningful goals that will help you attain your true idea of life. The why. Why am I here? 
Well, it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to live in view of that. I mean, all Christians have come to know why they are here. But so often we struggle with living it. Sometimes we're unhappy. And maybe this morning you are an unhappy Christian. When was the last time you, if you are in that situation, or me, if I'm an unhappy Christian, it begs the question, when was the last time I set meaningful goals for my life that helped me achieve my purpose for life? I don't know how many of you remember or even know about the one of the early uh, video games, not the Atari for you really old uh, folks like me, but the Wii. The Nintendo Wii game. When you turn it on and you power it on and the screen comes up, you have all of these characters walking around on the screen, bumping into each other, just walking around aimlessly. It's a pretty good depiction of of life, actually. People just walking around, bumping into each other. And even in the church, Christians bumping into each other. Because we've not set meaningful goals for our life. For you that are going out of this place to preach the gospel. And maybe even more so for you women who are going out of here to be wives of preachers. The work can be very discouraging at times. And it can lead you to question whether or not you have chosen the right path for your life. I assure you, you have. But how do you get to that point or get back to that point in your own life, in your own thinking? I would suggest set some meaningful goals that help you understand and appreciate why you are here. Don't be like the experiment of Solomon where you look at life with the under the sun delusion and try to find meaning in this material world. You won't get it. You have to seek and set your affections on things above where Christ is. Satan will choke the life out of you. All of us. I think of Luke chapter 8 and verse 14 in the parable of the soils. In speaking of the seed that fell among thorns, the Bible says, now the ones that fell among thorns are those who when they heard, they go out. It's all good. Then they're choked with the cares, the riches, and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. There is the individual and the situation 
where one forgot why he or she was here. The meaning of life, the purpose of life. You and I have to know who's driving, who's in the driver's seat of our life. Because Satan will take us on a detour for sure. The main goal, seek the law of the Lord and do it. Coupled with the sub-goals that you and I make for our life will help us keep our focus and stay true to the one who has saved us. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Set. Set meaningful goals to help you attain your true, the true idea of life. The why we are here. And then finally, in verse 3, there is the idea of submission. Paul says, for you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our inferiority, our sense of inability to live the Christian life is not a determining factor here. I may feel inadequate. I may feel like I am not up to the work are the challenges. My responsibility is to submit to him. Inferiority feelings can manifest themselves in either hopelessness. Sometimes preachers, Christians feel hopeless. It can manifest itself in self-righteousness. Sometimes preachers are self-righteous. Sometimes Christians can be. Both of those are demonstrated in the incident in Luke 18 where the two men went into the temple to pray. The Bible says two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, are even as this tax collector. And the tax collector stood afar off. He would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, Jesus says that that latter man went down to his house justified more than the other. But they both had problems. 
The one was self-righteous. Why put before God all the things that you have done or haven't done? The only reason to do that is because you feel like you are inadequate. And you have to rehearse before others. Maybe just to convince yourself that you're not hopeless and helpless. But look at the tax collector. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, we're to come boldly before the throne of grace. This man stood afar off. They both felt inadequate is the point that I'm trying to make here. But it's not about us. Sometimes preachers feel adequate. Maybe listen to another preacher with much more experience than them. And they look at themselves and they think, should I be doing this? It's not about you. Paul presses the point of submitting. You died. It's not about you. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Paul lived that. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not about me. It's about him. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and do it. He understood the idea of life, his purpose for life. And it's no different today. We sing songs just as I am. Let him have his way with thee. I surrender all. It's not about me. I just need to submit to the will that he has put before me for my life. And our feelings of inferiority and feelings of inability will go away. The point I'm trying to make in this lesson is there is an idea of life. There is meaning for our lives. And even as Christians... We can lose sight of that. They evidently did. And you probably have people in your life who have lost that sense of purpose and have walked away from God. How do you insulate yourself and protect yourself as a child of God, a Christian, a preacher, a preacher's wife, or a young person learning to be, to be a, Bible, a good Bible teacher? How do you insulate yourself from discouragement and despair and senses of inability and hopelessness in life? I think 
by being a seeker and a doer like Ezra and like Paul. Understanding the idea of life and the meaning of purpose and purpose of life. If you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your affections on things above and submit to the will of God and let him have his way and his use of you. We end up where we are in life because we forget why we are here. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4 tells us why. And the surrounding verses give us a way to fix what is broken in our lives. And may God help us to have the resolve and the determination to not forget who we are and why we're here. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you need purpose for your life. You need to come to that place of healing. They're hearing the gospel and believing it, repenting of your sin and confessing your faith in Christ and being baptized in water to have your sins washed away, to be healed, to gain purpose for life. And then allow the word of God as you study it from day to day to motivate you to stay focused on why you're here. If you're subject to the invitation this morning in any way, we hope you'll come as we stand and sing.